the sea change is upon us. Yeah. And, uh, and I can't wait to see how far it goes. Hi, welcome to Candidate, real conversations with women running for office. I'm your host, Devin Handy. And normally I host Hellbent Podcast, which is a feminist news and politics show. But I and my team have teamed up with Emily's List to bring you conversations with women who have run, been running for office. And this is coming out on Tuesday, November 6th. It is election day. The midterm election cycle is culminating right now. And over the last 10 weeks, I have spoken to the most impressive, smart, and capable women that I've ever had the pleasure to speak to in my life. And today, for our last episode, I sat down with Emily's List Executive Director, Emily Kane, to talk about what this election cycle has been and what it has done and what it will continue to do long past today. And I'm sure you all have already voted or are voting right now as you listen to this. And what's truly incredible is that no matter what happens, we've done something amazing. We have elevated women in politics in ways that have scarcely been seen before. And no matter what happens, nothing can take that away. We've had women from every walk of life, from every background, coming out and and running and volunteering and canvassing and doing things they never thought they would do because they knew they had to do it. The time had come for them to do it. And there has been nothing like having a front row seat to watch that. And there's been hard work. There has been tears. There have been, there's the joy. I've talked to women who never thought they would run, who didn't think they could. And what we've learned is that you, they can, you can. And, you know, you start at, you know, with where you are and then you get your community around you and you do something amazing. I've talked to women who've been who are running for local office, who are running for governorships, who are running for Congress, uh, Secretary of State. I've talked to women who are running, and the common thread is not that they're women. The common thread is that they are doing something incredible, and they are smart, and they are qualified, and they are getting the job done. So this is the last episode, and it is a bittersweet thing because I have enjoyed doing this show more than I've enjoyed doing almost anything else in my life. But that means that we're here. We're at the end. We're at Election Day. And, you know, even after, even long after this election is over, I know that you can go back and listen to these women and listen to their stories and listen to what's important to them and know that, as Emily will tell us in just a few minutes, the sea change has already happened. So without any further ado, Emily Kane, executive director of Emily's List, sits down to talk to us about this historic moment. For our final guest, 
together on this series, we have Emily Kane, who is the executive director of Emily's List. And I am so excited to speak with her about all of the work Emily's List has been doing in getting these really qualified women running for office. And, you know, today, the day we're releasing this episode is November 6th. It's voting day. Today is the day. So I'm excited to speak with Emily about where we are and how far we've come. So Emily, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Hey, I'm thrilled to be here. And also, if anyone is listening to this and it's election day and you haven't voted yet, oh, please go vote. Please go vote. Please. <laughs> take us with. Take this podcast with you. Put us in your headphones. Exactly. Get to the polling place. Exactly. And let's get those ballots cast. So let's do this thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, it, there ha- was a there have been just a surge of women who wanted to run for office. You know, we there were so many articles in in the last few years about how. Hillary Clinton prompted this huge wave of women who signed up for your programs, and it was something like 900 women, and then that exploded into 16,000 plus. So I just wanted to ask you, in has that sort of uptick and that these like huge numbers continued? 100%. So we saw that you to use 900 is 920 women reached out to us in the 2016 election cycle said they wanted to make a plan to run for office we thought that was a lot right and then donald trump got elected and within one month of that day more than a thousand women reached out to us and and that was when that was when the click the link to where you could sign up was like four clicks into our website right and more than a thousand women signed up so we moved it to the front of the website, of course, and put it on our social media. And uh, I'm, I'll just cut to the chase. We announced a few weeks ago that number is now up to more than 42,000 women who have signed up with Emily's List to say they want to make a plan to run for office. And, you know, we're still working to understand who all these women are, but I do know more than half of them are under the age of 45. Wow. So we're talking about people who are going to run for office who aren't they aren't they aren't necessarily on the ballot right now right. but they are deliberately saying and taking a step to say they want to make a plan to run and so that means to us in the next 5 to 10 years or even more uh, we're we are looking at a really an incredible pipeline of women who are who are thinking about running for office and we couldn't be more thrilled. Yeah, that that is quite a pipeline. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> well, I mean, it is. And, and I mean, at Emily's List, we've been around for 33 years right. working with pro-choice Democratic women to train them, to support them, to elect them at all levels of office. And we've had to, thankfully, you know, we've kind of been built for this moment. But just in the last year and a half, our staff has grown from 80 to 120. I had to knock down a wall in the office to (laughs) build out enough seats for our staff. Um, And we are working and have endorsed, working with and have endorsed a record number of candidates for office in 2018. And we're really just getting started, honestly, when it comes to making sure this this group of women who is expressing this interest is not only ready to run themselves, but also ready to help other women run and win. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's absolutely incredible. And I think really speaks to the, the political moment we're in. And so I want to ask you a little bit about some of the coverage of all of these women running. Um, there's been a lot of positive, very positive coverage and people are excited and people are excited to see so many women running but then it's also been described sort of as this this pink wave or this this sort of 
I feel like they talk about it in very limited or or narrow terms. And so what why is this a pink wave and and what is what is that even trying to get at? You know, I I mean it's it's sort of clear, right? I mean, pink is um the color that society likes to attach <laughs> to women. And I, I one of my one of my favorite I so I started in this role um, after spending about 14 years in Maine politics, I was an elected official there for 10 years, um, and I came to Emily's List in the summer of 2017, and one of my first things I had to deal with was um, I actually got an email from Cards Against Humanity because they were doing a promotion for a pink Cards Against Humanity box where they were donating the proceeds to Emily's List or donating proceeds to us. And I had to call them and I was like, I, you know, I'm just trying to understand what you're doing and what they were doing was trying to actually raise awareness about it because this pink box cost $5 more than the regular game. And it was not different than the regular game in any way except the outside box was pink. And they were doing that to raise money for us and raise awareness about the pink tax that when things are pink, they get, they cost more and they get put out there for women. Right. And we pay more for things to be pink. And so in the popular, you know, in the the popular speak, we end up with things being oversimplified and summarized to things like a pink wave, which is really a, a really gross oversimplification of something much more dynamic than that. Right. And I don't care if you want to call it a pink wave or a blue wave or a rainbow wave, I really don't think it's a wave at all at Emily's list. And those numbers I I just shared with you, I think really bear this out that this is not just a wave, a wave, wave comes and then it goes back, right? A wave comes and goes. This is a sea change moment for women in politics for not just the way women run for office and the number of them who run for office. It's a, it's a sea change in the way women participate in the political process. And we are seeing that play out in real time with our campaigns across the country. Right. So call it a pink wave. I, I mean, whatever. I, mean, I, I know what they're trying to say. Right. I get what they're trying to say. And I actually attended a pink wave rally recently in Delaware because they have so many diverse women running for the state legislature there that they celebrated with with a big rally. And you know what? A lot of people showed up. So I don't care what color you call the wave. If people are showing up to support women candidates, I'm on board. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I've spoken with a lot of female candidates um, in in recent weeks and months. And whenever I, I, you know, I've brought up Pink Wave a couple of times with some of them. and, And, you know, what they always say is it's not so much that. It's that we have very qualified people running who just happen to be women and that's no longer considered taboo, right? No one, no one's, you know, that, that seems to be becoming more normal, but it's still about being the most qualified candidate. Oh, it's, I mean, but it is taboo, right? I mean, it was only, only 20%, not even 20% of Congress are women and not even 25% of state legislature, let's say legislators across the country are women. We only have two pro-choice Democratic women governors right, right. now. And so it, it is still taboo. I, I think it, the good news is we have have we are having more and more women step up. And I always say, you know, my goal is so that you never turn on the news and see an image of Congress that is all men anymore. And unfortunately, we're still living in a time where that happens all the time, especially on the Republican side. And so Yes, it is about the most qualified candidate, but at Emily's List, we believe and we have since the very beginning 
that we have to make a deliberate effort when it comes to recruiting and electing pro-choice Democratic women because, unfortunately, structurally, the Democratic institutions around our country, the political institutions around our country, are still dominated by men and reflective of men in, in how they are set up, right? Emily's List was started, and Emily is not a person. For those who are listening, I am Emily from Emily's List, but it is not that is not like what it is. Uh, it's just a really happy coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Emily is an acronym, and it stands for early money is like yeast. It makes the dough rise. And for us, the way we got started was because there'd never been a Democratic woman elected to the Senate in her own right in 1985. And the concept behind Emily's List was we needed to help women start their campaigns through our membership and our Emily's List community, help them raise the small dollar contributions, which would add up to be the larger number that would then have them be taken seriously by the power players, right? And the media. And that is still what we have to do today. Um, and what we're doing all across the country is, is helping women how to understand how to navigate the political landscape, which is largely dominated and run by men. And the only way we change that is if we change who gets elected. Yeah. It, earlier in the series, we spoke with uh, Luba Gretchen, Gretchen Shirley, and, and she talked a lot about how, especially running against a 13-term incumbent like she's doing, it, it, they have this war chest built up, and it, it can feel very impossible, but it, getting those small-dollar donations and just starting it, is what really got her campaign moving and off the ground. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we send out, you know, mailers to our – we send out – physical mail all across the country every month to, to tell our, our community of Emily's community people who the members who the candidates are, we're recommending. Right. Um, you can go to our website and find the list there. And, you know, whether you have $20 to give total or you have a thousand dollars to give total or each to candidates, we can help you make sure your money goes on a hundred percent of that money goes to the candidates, we can make sure it, it gets to where it needs to go so it can have the greatest impact. So I, I also want to talk about, you know, like you said, it's still pretty taboo or, or feels a little um, radical for women to be running for office in these numbers. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about historical context. Back it, af after the um, Anita Hill hearings in the early 90s, there was some, you know, they called it the year of the woman. That was the year that women started running for office and, and were elected in, in serious numbers. And that, that it felt like that was, another, I guess, maybe the precursor to the quote unquote pink wave, but that did recede. And so what... What makes it different this time? Why, why do you think that this is a sea change and, and where we're going? Well, I think it's interesting. The, you know, the year of the woman uh, at Emily's List was a big year for us um, because in, in 1992, and of course, Anita Hill happened a full year ahead of the election, right, right in 1991. And in 1992, in that year of the woman, with Emily's List help, we were able to elect four new women to the United States Senate. And in one fell swoop, 20 new uh, members of c Congress, new pro-choice Democratic women members of Congress. And that was significant. And it's significant because it's a, a big leap. Um, and, and whether it receded, I'm, I'm not, it's hard to measure, right? Because right. most of those women right. stayed in Congress. That's right? true. And, That's true. Um, and in the, in the year after, you know, in, in 94, um, you know, we, we elected 
four new members of Congress. In 96, we elected uh, nine new members of Congress right. all at once. And right. while at the same time, you know, in 98, we went on to elect Tammy Baldwin as the first openly gay congresswoman, right now right. a prominent United States senator, uh, likely and hopefully to be reelected, um, you know, in 20, this year in 2018. So, in in 98, we were able to bring that total number of Democratic women in the U.S. Congress to a record high of 43. Um, so we've been we've been chipping away at it, and we get into the 2000s, and and the number just keeps growing. In fact, since Emily's list has been, has started, the number of women in Congress has never receded. Wow! Wow! And that matters. Yeah. Right? Oh, it, it matters. Oh, yeah. And the number of women in the Democrat Democratic Caucus has grown. And so, you know, we're looking hopefully at a, at a, at a big year right now, but we spend as much time, I mean, in, in this election cycle, we are looking at, you know, we've endorsed 70 women for the U.S. House. Um, and that is awesome. At 53 of those are seats that could flip from red to blue. But also included in there are really important seats that we're working to protect, right? Like Connecticut 5, where we are working to elect Johanna Hayes there as the first African-American woman to ever represent Connecticut in Congress. And she is holding on to a Democratic seat, and we can't get to the majority if we don't do that. She's also working to replace a a woman in Congress. Same in Massachusetts, where we have Lori Trahan, who is working to to go into a seat that was also previously held by a woman. So we have, uh, we have a lot of, it's a lot of pressure, right? I mean, in in a good way to make sure that not only do we elect new women, but we also uh, protect the seats that we already have. And and it's, it's a big map this year and one that I, I couldn't be more thrilled with the diversity, the really just the tenacity and bravery of these women who have stepped up to run. Yeah. Yeah. Over and over, I, I've heard in, in the last 10 weeks, I, I've just heard, you know, I never thought that I would run, but it was something I had to do. And they just stepped up and they just did it because they knew that they could and no one else was going to do it. And I mean, that's been the most inspiring thing about this election cycle is that all of these women have stepped up and it does feel like a sea change. Yeah. You know, it really has reshaped. It does. It's different. I mean, it's definitely different. And the the reasons people are stepping up are so fascinating as well. I mean, I was in Illinois 14 with Lauren Underwood um, in the weeks prior to this election and doing canvas kickoffs for her. And, you know, she's a 32-year-old nurse, African-American. Her district has never been represented by a woman or a person of color ever uh, in the western suburbs of Chicago. And she's somebody who never thought about running for office. She she worked in healthcare. She worked in the Obama administration as a healthcare official, doing disaster relief, working on things like Flint and the water crisis. And she went to a town hall held by her member of Congress um, after she, she'd gone to the women's, women's March. She went to the Emily's List training the day after the Women's March. She then went back to her district, got more involved, went to the only town hall that her member of Congress had where he made a promise he would not vote to take away protections for pre-existing conditions. She thought, okay, I, I believe him. Then he went and he voted in Congress right. for a bill that would take those away. Right. And 
she said, I'm running for Congress. Right? <laughs> Abby Finkenauer. True, true story. Abby Finkenauer yeah. in, uh, in Iowa, I was with her and I was seeing her tell her story of, you know, the, being sad after the 2016 election and people in her community saying, gosh, you really should run. She was a young, uh, you know, late 20s. Um, state representative saying, you know, you should run because working people don't have a voice here in Congress. And, uh, and Abby comes from that background. And so she is, and, and I think she's going to win. Right. And then I was with Mikey Sherrill, who is a Naval Academy graduate, a mom of four flew helicopters, you know, Navy helicopter pilot. And, you know, when she goes into missions, you know, in, in, her, in her service, she never turned to her colleagues and said, are you a Democrat or a Republican? Right. She said, let's get this done. We have a mission. Let's execute it. And when it came time in her district to find a candidate, Emily's list, we, we found her and said, you're exactly what we need. But she'd never thought about running for Congress before. So it, this moment is about empowering people to understand that what they have to offer is good enough to run, right? The Johanna Hayes, who I mentioned, she was a teacher of the year in 2016 for our country, the national teacher of the year, and she's going to be a member of Congress, right? And you, you, you have these incredible women who've been doing incredible things in different lanes, and suddenly, you know, this moment calls for them to, to, to run for Congress, and I'm so grateful to them for that. Well, yeah, and they're they're not they're not coming from like a political background or even just a law background like we've come to expect. It's <laughs> no. from it's from all over. I mean, teachers and yeah, army. And I, I'm I am just going to say as an aside, as a woman in my early thirties, I'm personally yeah. offended by how much these young women have accomplished because it is amazing. I mean, well, <laughs> let's be clear. Like the, so it's funny. I, so I was elected to the main legislature when I was 24 years old and I, that offends me, Emily, years. that offends me. Well, you know, I, I, was, I felt like I needed to confess that to you before you went farther down that path because just in the interest of full disclosure. Um, and, but I'll tell you what's interesting is that there is no right or wrong time to run. Right. And I, and this is, I believe, and I have always believed that if you wake up in the morning caring about something enough, you are qualified to run for office. Right. Because truth is, being an elected official is not glamorous. Campaigning is not glamorous, right? It's, it's really hard work if you're doing it right. And you have to care about something other than whether you're elected right. every day enough to put yourself out there. Right. right. I've won five elections. I've lost two. Right. And winning is better, right? I'll admit it. <laughs> it feels, it feels <laughs> but, good. But if you know why you get out of bed every day to do this work, then if you lose, what you do is you then figure out the next best way you can have an impact because you still care about the same things. Yeah. And I think what we're seeing now is so many women take that leap and say, I do care about our country enough. I do care about health care enough. I care about equality and the environment and the economy enough that I'm willing to take this risk. Yeah. And um, at Emily's List, our job is to help them. Right. find the most successful pathway forward um, and to do it with the best practices of more than 30 years of supporting and electing women um, to help them cross that finish line. Yeah. No, but I... don't worry. You're not a slacker. Okay. Well, you're so I was going to say, I'm only, I'm only offended because it's just, I mean, when I was 24, I, let's just say I would not have run for office. <laughs> 
And you know what? Yeah. That's okay. Right, right. I think that you absolutely can run. I mean, you can run next year if you want right. to or the year after. It just depends. You just have to run when you're ready. I mean, we have women of all ages yeah. and all backgrounds who are stepping up to run. That's and And that's sort of the point is right. that for a long time it's been sort of one gender – yeah. And not and not a whole heck of a lot of diversity, right? right? Who is what you think of when you think of a politician? Right. And not any kind you know, of diversity. That, no, like background correct. diversity. No economic diversity. I mean. Nothing. A lot of millionaires in Congress, yeah. right? And when I think about what we are doing and the opportunity we have in this moment with all these women running and all these women who are also going to continue to run, um, we I always think about little kids who grew up watching the news, right? My family watched the 6.30 national news every single night growing up. And you that's where you begin to understand the images of what does a politician look like? What does a president look like? You know, and I, I love that my nephew, you know, the first five years of his life, when his parents watched the news, that he knows that Barack Obama is the president of the United States. Right. And somebody who looks like and comes from Barack Obama's background can and is and was president of the United States. That's a big deal. And this transformative moment with this diverse group of women running um, is going to change that forever. I hope, you know, that we will have young young kids who are you know, turning on the TV or <laughs> really Facebook or YouTube or Hulu <laughs> or something. And and they're seeing you know, Congresswoman Deb Holland from New Mexico or uh, or Sharice Davids from Kansas, and they're saying to themselves that a Native American woman can be a member of Congress, right? That, that my goal is that they're going to see Angie Craig and from being a Congresswoman from Minnesota or Gina Ortiz-Jones from Texas and say that someone who is LGBTQ can be in Congress, right? That if you are a young Latina woman, you are going to look at Veronica Escobar and Sylvia Garcia and Michelle Lujan Grisham and know that you can be in Congress or be the governor of your state. Um, and if you are a young African-American woman, that you can look and see Lauren Underwood in Illinois, Lucy McBath in Georgia and say, I can be in Congress or see Stacey Abrams and know that you belong as the governor too. And so we have so much opportunity uh, right now to change the way we think about who gets elected and who gets to be at that table of power. And that's what this moment is about. And we can't have it stop on election day, right? We have to keep it going. It has to go the next day as well. And, and in the months ahead, we, we, can't, we can't give up this momentum to the other side or to complacency, right? We can't say, and, and hopefully, Hopefully we win a lot on this election day. And and then the good news is we get the chance to double down on it in 2020. Right. Yeah. I think I think last quickly, I, I kind of wanted to press on that a little bit, because like you said, you've won elections, you've lost elections. We are, are currently attempting to elect all of these women. So what what's next? What's the plan next? Win or lose? What what can we do you know, after we take a couple of days to breathe and then come Monday morning, what do we do? What's next? Well, I mean, I don't want to totally freak you out, but Emily's List is already recruiting for 2019 and 2020. Oh. <laughs> Great. Great. So, I mean, there are definitely days to, days to um, rest for sure. But, you know, we, 
we're already thinking about the 2020 Senate map, the 2020 gubernatorial map. We're already making plans for the 2019 state legislative elections in places like Virginia and New Jersey uh, that are so important um, and gubernatorial races that will happen in 2019. Um, and my hope is that the difference that will be made when all these women get elected will reinforce the positive, right? Will reinforce what we have done. Because when these women are elected, what we will see is we will see policies coming out of state houses and coming out of Congress that are actually good for women and families and for, for working people across this country. We will see policies that reflect our values of whether it's environmental stewardship, equality, educational access, quality of healthcare, affordability and access to healthcare. You know, we are gonna see policies that reflect the values from where these women come from, right? We are going to see that difference be made in state houses and in the Congress. And that is something that, that I think is, is hard to anticipate right now, right? It's hard to get too excited today about a bill that might pass in the future. But we also know with redistricting on the horizon after 2020, and the fact that right now, even in a year where we have so many women running tough races, we are running in gerrymandered maps that were drawn by Republicans after they took back majorities in 2010. And we have a chance to actually draw fair maps, right? Maps that don't have to be thrown out by the court and redrawn in a few years after, right? Maps that can be reflective of communities and their growth and who lives there. Um, and their representation will, will follow. So there is absolutely time to hopefully be celebrating and be, you know, getting reinvigorated. <laughs> but but this is not a temporary no. this is not a temporary need we have. Right? We need we need I you know, these rallies that I've done in the last few weeks um, in states all across the country, where volunteers, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was in Illinois with Lauren Underwood, I did a big campaign kickoff for her, Canvas kickoff. And I, I was leaving to go to the next event. A woman followed me out not named Karen. And she said, excuse me, Emily, could I talk to you? I said, sure. I said, hi, I'm Emily. And she said, I, I don't do this. And I said, well, what do you mean? <laughs> she said, I've never done this before. And this woman was older. You know, she's an older woman. I said, I said, you mean you've never volunteered in a campaign before? She said, I am an introvert, Emily. <laughs> I'm an introvert. And, and honestly, she, she started to cry. She, yeah. And she said, I work at home by myself. And I have worked at home by myself for more than 40 years. And I have never done this before. But I knocked on doors yesterday. Yeah. And I hugged her. And I said, thank you so much. Thank you for supporting Lauren this way. And she said, I knocked on doors. I don't talk to people. <laughs> and I knocked on doors. And, and then she said, she said I, even, I even talked to the cashier at the Home Depot. Because I, I had the Lauren Underwood stuff with me. And I just decided I needed to make sure she knew how important it was. Yeah. And there are, there are thousands and thousands of Karens across the country who are showing up for the first time in campaign offices, who are making themselves so uncomfortable doing phone banks and door knocking. And that is what will make the difference. And that is what we cannot, we cannot give up. 
yeah. right? We, we have to keep the Karens coming back and maybe even get them to run for office. Um, we can't allow victory to make us complacent. And my hope is we have a lot of victory. I don't know, you know, the day we're recording this podcast, I don't know yet what the election will be like, but the next day we, we get to recharge, but then we have to keep it up because it's that important. Yeah. I, um, I mean that, that story, I mean, I just want to say thank you to you and everyone at Emily's list because well, regardless of what happens almost and not saying I don't want us to win, but we've started something. I know so many people who before this year, before the previous year, couldn't tell you who their Senator was. And mm-hmm. now they're canvassing. Uh, they're canvassing <laughs> in the district <laughs> next door, right? Not even their yes. district. <laughs> oh yeah. And, oh yeah. They're doing it. Oh yeah. And it's just, it's been the most incredible thing to watch. And I know that you and the whole team at Emily's List has made it possible for these women to have the confidence to run because that's been, you know, a huge part of this and a huge boost to be able to do this. So I, this has been an absolute honor in my life to get to talk to these women. And it is the best, (laughs) it is the best thing I have done with my time, I think, is talking to these women and getting their messages out. So I want to thank you for doing that as well. Well, I just can't, I can't wait till you call me another time and say, hey, Emily, I'm thinking about running for office. And and I'll say, let me, you know, let me connect you. But first you should check out emilyslist.org and check out our candidates, check out our online training center that we have. We've put more than 30 years of our training materials online and made them available to people. Um, you could come to any of our trainings across the country. We thank you for saying those kind words. I, I, you know, people often ask me, they'll say, gosh, you know, it must be really hard to work in Washington DC right now. Mm. And I say, Nope, not me. <laughs> yeah. I, I jump out of bed every day. I run down Rhode Island Avenue <laughs> to 18th and M. I literally like sprint walk and uh, I get to the office cause I have the best job. And we have the best team, and it's because we are mission-driven. Yeah. It is to elect more pro-choice Democratic women across this country, and that never gets old. Yeah. So we are, um, we are at a moment where we just want to make sure as many of these women cross the finish line and that as many women as possible feel that the, the pathway has been widened for them along the way. Um, and I think that's work we can all take joy in, yes. take solace in, and hopefully channel any of our – frustrations that we have when we watch the news or open Twitter. Yeah. It's a good way to channel them is to electing women. Oh, absolutely. No, I love it. So I mean, I personally, as soon as I vote, I'm getting in my car and driving down to Palm Springs where I rented a very tiny Airbnb for three days because <laughs> to recharge <laughs> and then come back. <laughs> um, well, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so, awesome. But yeah. I relax I, a little bit for me yes. and, uh, and, It'll be, and then we'll come back and we'll get started again. So, Emily, thank you again for doing all this work, for sitting down. And I, I, I think no matter what, we've already changed. I think you're right. It's a, it's a sea change. We've already changed it and we can only move forward. No, there's no, the sea change, the sea change is upon us. Yeah. And, uh, and I can't wait to see how far it goes. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, that is it for me. I want to take a minute to thank everyone who has put time and effort and love 
into this show, into these interviews. I thank you to all of the candidates and their teams who worked with us to schedule interviews, to get good get good content out there for you. Thank you to the team at Emily's List, particularly Tanya, who has put up with a lot with me and has been just the most helpful and positive person. Thank you to Christina Reynolds, who incepted this project with me, and to, of course, Emily Kane, the executive director. And thank you to Hellbent Media producer Varsha Venkat, who is producer extraordinaire. She does research, and mostly she just holds my hand when... I felt like I couldn't do this anymore. Thank you to all of you for listening. Thank you for giving your time to these women. Thank you for voting. And like I said at the top of the show, this has been one of the greatest things I've ever done with my time. And, you know, we're at the culmination of this midterm cycle, but we're not done. Like Emily said, we're going to recharge, we're going to get back up, and we're going to keep going no matter what. There's a sea change, and we've all been part of it. So, I hope to see you again soon. Get out there and vote. 